the America's National Parks podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean. This year, L.L. Bean is joining up with the National Park Foundation, the official nonprofit partner of the National Park Service, to help you find your happy place in an amazing system of more than 400 national parks, including historic and cultural sites, monuments, preserves, lakeshores, and seashores that dot the American landscape many of which you'll find just a short trip from home. L.L. Bean is proud to be an official partner of the National Park Foundation. Discover your perfect day in a park at findyourpark.com. There are a million conspiracy theories about people missing or turning up dead in national parks and other public lands, but the National Park Service manages a lot of land. 17 of the parks are bigger than Rhode Island. Three are bigger than New Jersey. If you combine them all, they'd make up the 14th largest state. So really, when you break down the numbers, the amount of disappearances, murders, and accidental deaths are on par with the rest of the country. Still, a lot of those unfortunate events do happen, and many aren't what they seem. On today's episode of America's National Parks, the tragic death of a hiker at Rocky Mountain National Park that shocked the nation. This episode may not be suitable for younger audiences. Here's Abigail Trebue. p.m. September 29, 2012. Harold Hinthorne places a 911 call. 911, what's your address, the emergency? Hello, my name is Harold Hinthorne. I'm in the Rocky Mountain National Park. Okay. I need an Alpine Mountain Rescue Team immediately. Okay, what is your exact location? My exact location is Deer Mountain. Okay. Harold's wife, Tony, had fallen 30 feet and sustained a severe head injury. She was alive but unconscious. About one mile south of the visitor center. Okay, I'm going to transfer you to the park, so hang on the line. You'll hear some, you're going to hear some clicking, and right now I'm pulling up your lat near long um, on my phone here. Let me try it one more time before I transfer you. And I'll introduce who we are when they pick up the phone. This is Esther, and we have a gentleman on Deer Mountain. Go ahead, sir. Thank you. My wife has fallen from a rock on the north summit of Deer Mountain, on the Deer Mountain Trail, when she's in really critical condition. She's had a bad fall. Her, uh, How far did she about, fall, sir? Uh, 30, 40 feet, 30 feet. The Hinthorns had been celebrating their 12th anniversary with a weekend trip to the park. Harold was an entrepreneur and Tony an ophthalmologist. They met on a Christian dating site in their 30s when such websites were in their infancy. They married after a short courtship and had a daughter who was now seven. Are you with the patient? Yes, I am, yes. I already have rangers getting ready to come up there. So if you're at Epley Reed looking at Deer Mountain, 
um, you're looking at two outcrops and this person's between the two outcrops? Yes, if you're looking from the visitor center directly south, magnetic south, you'll see two large outcrops about 9,800 feet, They're very steep. We are not on those two. We are between the two, about 200 feet off the, uh, the, the crest of the hill. Okay. And um, tell me some, about, some things about the patient. She is a um, white female, 50 years old, great health. She has respiration approximately 5 to 8 beats a minute. Her pulse is about um, between 60 and 80 beats a minute. Okay, what's her main injury? Uh, head injury. Head injury. Concussion. Okay, any other injuries? Yeah, the internal, I don't I... Is she conscious of breathing? No, she's not. She has not been conscious. She is breathing. Between, between 5 and, and 8 beats a minute now. Okay, hold on just a second. Okay. The couple was staying in the Stanley Hotel, an elegant establishment that was the inspiration behind Stephen King's The Shining. They had planned to hike to Bear Lake, a popular half-mile loop, but Bear Lake was pretty crowded that day, so they decided to hike the significantly more challenging Deer Mountain instead. A six-mile out and back with more than 1,000 feet of elevation gain, had hiked about two and a half miles in when the incident occurred. After the 911 call was transferred to National Park Service Rangers, help was sent, and the 911 dispatcher coached Harold through CPR. He hung up the phone to keep his dwindling battery from dying out, but updated family with text messages. Urgent, Tony is injured, in Estes Park, fall from rock, critical, requested flight for life, EMT rangers on way. Then, pulse 60, resp 5. By 7.30, the dark had set in and Harold had built a small fire. Then another text can't find pulse. Ranger Mark Faraday was struggling over boulders and through pines to reach the couple. He arrived to see Harold desperately attempting chest compressions on his wife. Her pupils were fixed and dilated. It was over. More rangers began to arrive at the body, which couldn't be safely moved at night. Faraday persuaded Harold to hike out, and the rangers would stay with Tony overnight until she could be evacuated. The two men hiked for two hours back to the trailhead after the unimaginable experience. Incidents like this unfortunately happen from time to time in wild places, And Tony's case, for a moment, was just another unimaginable, tragic accident. Then the letters and phone calls came.
Tony was Harold's second wife. His first, they said, also died in a tragic accident in a remote location. The couple's car fell off the jack onto Harold's first wife as the couple tried to change a flat tire. Her death was ruled an accident, but one nagging piece of evidence bothered investigators. A footprint on the fender well near the wheel that was jacked up. As if someone had kicked the car. Faraday noticed some strange things about Tony's death, too. For one, her lipstick wasn't smudged from the CPR, and a camera that she was carrying had somehow survived the 30-foot fall with no damage. And then rangers found a map of the Deer Mountain Trail in Harold's car with an X marking the spot where Tony fell. This death was no longer going to be investigated as accidental. Ranger Faraday called the Investigative Services Branch of the National Park Service, or the ISB. The ISB is a group of 33 elite rangers whose job is to investigate complex crimes in the park or as Outside Magazine called them, the FBI of the National Parks. ISB agents are scrappy. They don't have the massive infrastructure of the FBI. Usually they work cases alone and are almost invisible to other law enforcement. But they've solved all kinds of cases from homicides to poaching rings. ISB agent Beth Schott, a 20-year Park Service veteran, was assigned to the case. Schott didn't get a degree in criminal justice. She was an art major who wound up in advertising. Eventually, as is so common with park rangers, she ditched the corporate life for the wild. After working six-month stints at several parks, she decided to go into law enforcement. She went through the federal law enforcement training and became one of the thousand or so officers in the National Park Service. She discovered she had a knack for investigating and applied to join the ISB. Immediately, Beth Schott began to see Harold Hinthorne's story leak like a sieve. First... There was the strange decision to ditch the half-mile nature walk for a six-mile climb. Schott learned that Tony had bad knees and wasn't known to be much of a hiker. The coroner's report raised more questions. The injuries Tony's body sustained were clearly fatal. Her head wound was extensive, among other things and her body had bled out. The coroner had a hard time getting a blood sample because there was a little left in her system. He estimated that Tony had died 20 minutes to an hour after the fall. Then there was the spot that Tony fell from. It was well off the trail. Harold had told Faraday that the couple had ventured off for 
romantic time. Shot went out to retrace the couple's steps, and when she left the trail where the couple did, she had to scrape her way back over stumps and rocks and through trees. She realized that Tony was in her 50s. The couple had been married for 12 years, and it just didn't seem an ideal location for such activity. Furthermore, Harold said the couple climbed up to a cliff edge and stopped for lunch when Tony spotted a flock of wild turkeys she wanted to photograph. So she trekked gingerly down a rocky slope to a flat stone ledge over a large drop-off with only enough room for one person. Harold said he followed her down and she asked him to take a photo of her. As she stepped backward... She fell. Schott noted that the drop was not the 30 feet that Harold noted in the 911 call. It was more like 150 feet. When Schott looked down, Tony's blood was still visible on the ground below. This is the point in any investigation where it's clear to law enforcement that a crime has been committed, but the evidence is almost entirely circumstantial. Far from producing a slam-dunk conviction. The first snow of the fall soon came, blanketing the scene of the incident for the next several months. Schott teamed up with other investigators, including the FBI, and began to interview the Henthorne's friends and relatives. They were often told that Harold was a good, church-going man. He raised money for his church and for several charities. In fact, that was said to be his job. But Schott soon discovered that Harold's business had no website or known clients. He claimed no income on his tax returns. In fact, there was no evidence that he held a job or received much income at all over the course of the Hinthorns' marriage. Yet Harold went to work every day. His cell phone records led Schott and the FBI to a Panera, where employees recognized his photograph instantly. Harold treated Panera as his office, often staying until close, and the employees feared him. Those she interviewed also told Schott that Harold frequently traveled on business trips. To where? And then there was the life insurance policy. Harold had received over a half a million dollars when his first wife died. Now he and Tony were insured for a million each in their daughter's name. But then more policies were found, two more covering Tony for another three million, with Harold as the beneficiary. Harold was controlling. He didn't allow Tony to talk to her parents on the phone without him listening in. 
And there was Tony's near-death experience just months before. Relatives told Shot of the cabin the couple had been working on together. Tony had walked out the front door and bent over when Harold dropped a massive beam on her back. Tony had told her mother that it would have killed her had she not bent over. When the snow thawed shot brought FBI agents to the scene of the crime with llamas, overnight gear, and investigative equipment. Some had never camped before. They used a high-tech laser to build a computer model of the scene for an impending courtroom drama. Schott took video of the trail and the fall site during the trip and several subsequent hikes with and without the FBI. She brought out a drone pilot to film overhead. She had been searching and searching for evidence that Tony was pushed, but it proved elusive. Schott and the FBI felt they had all the evidence they were going to find. And finally, in the fall of 2014, the arrest was made. The trial came a year later, but was swift and Harold Hinthorne was convicted of first-degree murder, largely due to Ranger Beth Schott's detailed investigation and courtroom testimony. Beth Schott and other investigators were presented with the Distinguished Service Award by the U.S. Attorney General. It was a landmark investigation for both the National Park Service and the FBI. We share this episode in the middle of a government shutdown, which has taken a drastic toll on many of our national parks, particularly in California, where it's one of the most popular times of the year at places like Yosemite and Joshua Tree. Yosemite is one of those parks that is about the size of Rhode Island, and just 12 rangers, all law enforcement, are the only barrier between near record level crowds and our national treasures. No matter what your feelings are about the shutdown, the few rangers who aren't furloughed are doing the work of dozens each and deserve our undying gratitude. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, and narrated by Abigail Trebu. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. We'll link to all of our social media, as well as National Park Service resources, music credits, and more in the show notes at nationalparkpodcast.com. If you're interested in RV travel, give us a listen over at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Abigail and I as we travel the country in our converted school bus with our three boys at ourwanderingfamily.com. This land is
is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made for you and me. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring national parks. <laughs>